Hello, everybody. It is um, November 22nd. This is your host, Stephen Lurie with B2B Rocks. Um, happy to be here today. Today's guest is, uh, I think it's Vera uh, Sharapova. I think that's correct. I hope I got it. Vera Sharapova. Um, any case, let me hold on. Let me just turn off, pause my music for a second. Um, before we get started today, I just wanted to uh, bring up one thing thing that I saw was really interesting in the news and uh, it's kind of information that, that I think it's interesting to take a counter position. Uh, so there was this article in TechCrunch where um, they went back and measured 500 different uh, SaaS companies, uh, startups, I guess. I don't know the exact criteria for a startup, but they measured, they looked at these companies and they looked at and they found measuring using KPIs like revenue, runway, growth, um, they said that people that hadn't cut sales and marketing were better off this year. So, um, so to stay the course was kind of the thing, uh, that was taken away from this article. I think that's an interesting idea. It's, it's worth, uh, talking about that. But on the other hand, um, you know, I think there's, we got to be careful with the difference between correlations and causations. Um, so maybe perhaps the reason why these companies didn't cut sales and marketing is because that they were doing really well and they were very confident in their model more so than other companies that cut sales and marketing. If you're not sure that you've cracked the recipe for success, you might want to lay off your sales and marketing efforts until you uh, have more happier, uh, more customers and happier customers. So I just think that's an interesting um, take on this. Um, so I'd love to hear what you have to say about this as well. Um, let me pull in my, uh, if I can pull in my, uh, my screen here. Oh, yes. All right, cool. It's always nice when it works well. Uh, hi, Vera. Hi, Steve. Hi, welcome so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Um, excuse me. I think Sharapova, I think was a famous tennis player. I think I mixed, yeah. I confused. I mean, it's a very recurrent mistake <laughs> in the market, which makes me feel proud, but unfortunately I can't play tennis, but far away from, from Maria Sharapova. <laughs> Maria Sh Sharapova. Uh, okay. Well, that's really good. So l listen, um, as I admitted to you before we started talking about this subject, um, I know very little about hiring, uh, even less so about executive searches, even less so about executive uh, searches on an international scale. So why don't we start with beginning and talk about um, a little bit what this means and, and what it's all about. Uh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Absolutely. Well, executive search industry, I think that's uh, for many, it's actually something which is not that well known, something that's, uh, you know, is, is, is very confidential. However, the industry itself has undergone a lot of stages. And I think that today, especially given the the market dynamics and, uh, you know, what's happening on the talent market, the only way to, to be successful in this specific field is to be open, to be transparent. I think so, because at the end of the day, as um, I, I already mentioned uh, last time we spoke, it's uh, a lot about common sense. It's a lot about fundamental uh, skills and fundamental human values. And uh, at the end of the day, it's uh, yes, it's it's a sector which uh, would say uh, exists uh, 
for a very, very long time, but uh, the purpose is, um, is very straightforward and is very clear. It's all about helping companies grow and helping them effectively align their growth strategy with their people strategy by uh, minimizing their own efforts in attracting and evaluating uh, uh, candidates for, for top level positions, for strategic positions. How do you, I mean, um, one of the challenges of working in this industry is working with a lot of different companies on the technology side and on the SaaS side is just understanding what they do. How much time do you spend investing to understand what these companies do and, and really getting to know their culture? Right, great question. Well, I think that it's it's a lot about the, the also the intellectual curiosity of a person who is doing the job, whether it's an internal recruiter or an external recruiter, because at the end of the day, uh, I recall um, and it was probably five, 10 years ago uh, when uh, you were speaking about executive search in, in, in Europe. Uh, the first question coming from the companies was, are you specialized? And it's true that historically executive search uh, consultants, uh, recruiters, they were very narrowly specialized, which again, I think that it um, resonates a lot with the overall dynamics of uh, of the European markets, especially countries like France and Germany, which uh, were really focusing on this specialization. And I think it's a consequence of the, the Industrial Revolution. However, uh, today, seeing that uh, probably every second role will have to imply this entrepreneurial perspective, ability to pivot, openness, executive search itself, uh, it's, it really went uh, first global, but then I think that uh, slowly uh, it's also losing its specialization perspective because, again, like you, you need to find innovative, you need to find very uh, probably uncommon solutions for, for a company in order to, to, to win the talent war. Meaning that, um, you know, it doesn't mean that uh, we, we can't be specialized because at the end of the day, it's very important for you as an executive search uh, consultant. Hold on, you broke up a little bit. Still broken up. We will get her back. Let's see if we can become it. very, uh, very biased and it's, uh... you're breaking up a little bit, Vera. Sorry. You're, yes. you're, you're breaking up. I don't know if it's our connection or something. I'm sorry. We kind of missed you. Um, lost you for about a minute. We're, why yes. don't we, why don't we turn yeah. off the, why don't we turn off the video and see if the audio is just okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me just reconnect as well. Okay. So it should be, is it better now? Still uh, it, it sounds better. Let's see how we do with just the audio. It's, a, okay. it, it's an unfortunate, but uh, I'd, I'd rather hear you if, if you're breaking up and we can't hear your audio, then that's going to be a problem. Okay. So, um, okay. So you were saying that there was a lot of specialization in executive uh, search and now you, people are, there's more and more generalization and less specialization. I'm not sure. I didn't get the end of what you were saying. Yes. No, I was saying that again, like the, uh, the historical, perspective of the executive search industry was to uh, to actually be specialized on a specific function, specific industry, specific country, which uh, was kind of a consequence of the industrial revolution today, uh, given that we look for diversity, we look for innovative uh, solutions in business. And uh, yes, basically, um, the executive search itself is getting more and more complex. 
uh, being a generalist is actually uh, a better idea, while at the same time, uh, at this level, you always have to speak the same language with your clients. And uh, yes, yeah, so every time you get a new mission, you you have to learn the, the specificities of the sector and the you know the value proposition and how the product works and um, it's actually very enriching as an experience because sometimes you're i would say uh reading during your free time it's all about learning about new industry learning about new sector and uh yes yeah, so it's can certainly uh take you some time but that's probably the beauty of the sector and uh, the beauty of this job yeah you, you got to like learning to work in technology or with SASIS. um what one of the things um employment markets are very different i know for example israel has a next to zero unemployment in the tech sector the us is a very competitive market with uh well paying wages and europe is uh although very dynamic sector the wages aren't like what we see in europe europe or i think israel what are what are some differences we see between the different markets specifically between europeans and americans Right. Well, that's uh, that. That's a great, uh, great question. So I think that's uh, to start with. And again, uh, uh, this is something which is very much related with uh, the market dynamics over the last couple of years. When uh, you know, due to the COVID, uh, many companies adopted adopted uh, borderless expansion models. Uh, many companies went global. Uh, when it comes to differences in salary ranges across countries, I think that there's slowly been uh leveled out especially at at the very top level however i think that uh, and it's probably one of the misconceptions of the international expansion for either european companies expanding in, in the us or us companies expanding in europe is that it still has to be aligned with the markets and for example uh, what i see very often is uh it's not only about the differences in salaries but also about some misalignment between the title and the salary for example, we speak about the VP of sales, which probably in some European countries would earn, uh, let's say, 12150 plus. But in the US, even if you make an adjustment to, uh, would say, uh, social security and specific, uh, uh, specific uh, legislative environments in different countries, it still will be uh, 30, 40 percent more. Okay, so so there is okay, so there is some sticker shock then when people first go to uh for, for example the european market to the u.s market yes 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 i mean it happens quite often but again like i think that today uh given that especially in the SaaS environment we uh we speak global when we do executive search um it's less of a shock for for most companies or okay. it's you know it, it can be a shock first but then there's a way to to adjust their strategy and to make sure that uh you know their go-to market message they employ brands and uh, their recruitment strategy is is aligned with the market but it's it's delicate and it's very sensitive because uh, uh what happens uh, very often is that uh you know, a company which is not strong enough especially if it's a european company where historically the the whole ecosystem was a little bit more revenue versus growth oriented so they will just not be able to to afford the very senior vice president of sales of marketing that would probably be the one to take the company to to the next level. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I've heard is that European uh, startups and scale ups tend to hire off um, hiring for some of the biggest roles because of lack of, of funding that they don't have access to the same funds as their American counterparts. And, and so they tend to um hold off a little bit on that and do that later on what are what are some mistakes people make as they go into executive hiring what are some mistakes that you see 
commonly made over and over again? Yes, well, uh, actually, I would call them probably mis not mistakes, but more uh, misconceptions. Okay. Right, because uh, here I think that's uh, it's better to look at it from 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 this more uh, preventive perspective. So one um, major misconception that uh, we see, especially with uh, SaaS companies that are looking to uh, to reinforce and to, to enhance their leadership teams as they want to either expand internationally or take the company to the next level, is the fact that uh, very often they uh, they think that if uh, say candidates uh, hasn't done it at our scale, he will not be able to do it. Right. Okay. For example, uh, we speak about a company that uh, uh, grew from a to b and today they're looking for the vp of sales or vp of growth that would take them from from b to c uh it's understandable and i think that it's fair enough also especially if you work with an external recruiter because at the end of the day uh we have to find the the candidate but um uh, it's uh it's very dangerous in a way because uh when defining this specific criteria it's very important to uh, to look uh, not at the quantitative KPIs, but probably at the um, at the underlying uh, objectives and outcomes and the company strategy as as a whole, because uh, you can check and uh, you can find a perfectly written you know CV where you have all these quantitative KPIs. But the question here is not about what have you done, but about how have you done this. And uh, specifically about these metrics, um, like you can sometimes come across uh, a very talented candidate with uh, a very diversified profile that actually developed the major part of his career in the corporate sector, but someone that has been continuously exposed to uh, let's say these these challenges, whether related to opening new markets or whether related to uh, developing a new product, you know, can 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 actually may grow SaaS environments, even though he's not coming from this uh, from this specific sector. So I think that uh, you just have to dig deeper again to understand what do you want to achieve or what kind of uh, what kind of a person you would like to, to have in this position. And most importantly, how this specific role will evolve as as your company grows, because it's probably the second misconception, but uh, uh, it's uh, it's related to this first one is when uh, companies and hiring managers uh, become very uh, rigid, I would say, with respect to org designs and, uh, and selection criteria. And at the end of the day, uh, we can see that uh, the industry itself is extremely dynamic, but we're also continuously exposed to a very wide array of external factors, sometimes very unpredictable. And again, uh, uh, you have to dig deeper to understand how this specific uh, role will potentially evolve with the time and probably you will have to envision several different scenarios because again like what we've learned over the last couple of years is that uh, long-term strategies uh, in most cases they do not work as as we expect so again like it's it's all about uh, uh, breaking it down into into some specific skills and um, and uh, and behavioral patterns that uh, would probably uh, demonstrate uh, not specific objectives, but what is this person capable of doing and how flexible this person can be 
in adapting to uh, to, to, to to different and changing uh, circumstances and and market contexts. Please don't talk. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I always think of human resource professionals as as risk adverse. Um, they're there to be gatekeepers and to uh, block anybody who doesn't fit the role to a T. Um, so it always seems to me that they were looking for reasons to rule people out as opposed to, you know, and, and you know, they're trying to do their best for the organization, the company. So it's, it sounds like what you're talking about is kind of a a microcosm of what we see on a, our larger level of companies. A lot of companies want to see on your resume or on your CV that you've actually done something, but it's not possible. You can't always have a candidate that's done exactly what you're looking for. Sometimes you have to step, step outside a little bit of your comfort area. And it sounds like that's the case with executive searches as well. Yes, absolutely, Stephen. Again, I think the, the ultimate objective on executive search is uh, to find the the ideal candidate, which will tick all the boxes. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's it's not always possible, especially in uh, relatively new industries. And when we speak about uh, some disruptive new products on the market, but the the idea here is to just um, put more effort in um, looking at it, uh, probably in a more holistic way and aside from uh, really checking and finding those candidates that probably have done the same in a similar context, adding some diversity and 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 finding some similar patterns in, in an industry which is either adjacent or is probably uh, different to, to what you're doing today. And that's, I think that's the main difference of the executive search because at the end of the day, uh, it's, um, it's not about uh, it's not about CVs, although they're important. Uh, but they probably will give you five ten percent information about the candidate. But it's about uh, really uh, applying this uh, strategic thinking and understanding the the market and the industry dynamics to see in which industries can I find similar patterns or which are the companies that probably five three years ago have done through similar stages in their life cycle and where we can find this. Uh, uh, these candidates that uh, that might have uh, the skills necessary to, to to make this business grow. Because another question here is that if you find a candidate that uh, has done something very similar in a very similar business context, the question is, is he going to be motivated to do it again and again? Especially given that, again, the, the talent market is very competitive. And I think that uh, uh, this learning and growth perspective uh, is extremely, extremely important for candidates. Like they are continuously looking for something which uh, would also allow them to either apply their skills in a completely different context or uh, to learn something new. In most cases, uh, these candidates, they, they actually outperform their competition because they have this drive and motivation to uh, to go an extra mile and uh, to learn something new. How do you how do you measure motivation? I mean, motivation is is isn't like a hard skill like accounting or something like that. Motivation is, I, I wouldn't even call it a soft skill, but for lack of a better term, I'm going to say a soft skill. How do you how do you go in and measure that, and how do you look at that? How do you evaluate that? Well, that's that's a tricky question. 
<laughs> okay, fair enough. When, I mean, with respect to all soft skills, because, uh, for example, uh, today, again, when you look at, at, at candidates and uh, when you look at their CVs, of course, uh, there's at least some of some fundamental uh, hard skills to evaluate. But then, uh, and this is actually very encouraging and uh, it makes me very happy as, as an executive search consultant because uh, most job descriptions, they actually uh, pretty much about soft skills and uh, and, and openness and motivation. So motivation itself, I don't think that uh, uh, we can we can measure it. And uh, it's not it's not a skill. It's more about uh, probably the emotion and the engagement related to, to to the specific assignment or related to a current position. And of course, it's something which is very fragile. And that's why today. Uh, we speak more about employee engagement than and retention than uh, than about recruiting. However, uh, speaking about soft skills that uh, lead to this motivation, like again, uh, enthusiasm, uh, openness, uh, there's a way to measure them. Of course, uh, there's one way that uh, you measure them is by um, conducting uh, behavioral interviews. And mm -hmm. again, like those are the interviews which. I intended to unlock uh, hows instead of what's and understand what's the personality behind this uh, these achievements and how this specific personality can actually uh, align with uh, the organizational culture your client company is trying to build. But of course, uh, there are also other metrics and, uh, for example, behavioral and personality tests that uh, you know can be used to to just support the. Uh, the recruitment process and uh, to to probably unlock some some red flags or some hidden strengths that you were not able to see in the candidates uh, while doing uh, the, the the interview. But again, like with respect to measuring that, this is uh, very delicate because uh, there are some quantitative metrics that can you put in the scorecard to just say, you know, uh, like how does the candidate align with uh, the organizational culture with respect to being open and, and and transparent but it's it's extremely extremely delicate because it also varies across cultures it varies across countries and uh, i think that it's just important to to use as many tools as possible to conduct this uh, really 360 uh degrees assessment and uh and again like focus on uh, both what the candidate can do today but also uh, what uh, like how how these specific skills can be leveraged for for tomorrow? I don't know if I answered your question because everything related to well, behavior yeah. and personality is really really hard to. <laughs> no, well, it's it's a big question, and I mean it's um you know I I guess you know when you when you're hiring an executive when you're hiring a VP or a C level at your company, it's a big investment of time, energy, and money. And, and typically, you're looking either to do this to, to continue your growth in a new market or to add to your team to go raise money. So it, it's really critical. Um, or sometimes, in some cases, a, a CEO could be eventually hiring his own um, replacement. So, you, you know, there's a lot on the line for this. And so, um, you, you know, everyone wants to make sure from the investors to, to the people that are at the company want to make sure that this is done right. And the, and the, it, but it's... You know, how do we what do we have beyond feelings to get this right? And I guess what you were saying is, is there's a lot of interviewing uh, at multiple different levels. And, and uh, do you do background checks at all? Do you talk with uh, employees that have or uh, other colleagues that have worked with these people previously? Do you is that part of the your role? 
Yes, we do them. Uh, we do uh, what we call reference checks. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yes, reference checks are intended to uh, to, to get uh, two or three references from former colleagues or direct reports or employers to, yeah. again, uh, uh, make sure that uh, we've really uh, obtained all the information we needed to obtain from, from, from a candidate to uh, not only determine whether he is the best fit for this role, but also to uh, to prepare his onboarding and post-hire integration, which uh, you know it's, it's it's a very very important um, part of our job because at the end of the day, recruitment cannot be transactional. It's not about placing the person; it's about helping him to, uh, to 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 integrate into into the specific context. And yes, we also do background checks, but this is something which is very. I think um, more typical for, for the U.S. market, it's just uh, background checks uh, with respect to the, whether all the information that you have obtained is, is correct and university diplomas. But we don't do this in, in Europe because uh, it's uh, it's more delicate and it's, it's very regulated. So for us, yes, we do reference checks. And uh, in most cases, we obtain <laughs> very good references. Yeah. And um, just for my European friends out there or European audience, we also have in the United States, we have credit scores. Um, so oftentimes as part of your background check, uh, they'll look at um, they'll look at your credit score as well. So if you haven't been good about paying your bills, they'll they'll look there. There's a question here about um, uh, company culture, matching the company culture. Um, and how do you make sure the hired things match the company culture? And I guess that kind of leads into what your last question was, or I mean, what your last, last response was. It's a lot of your interviewing. It's really understanding the founders and, and then really understanding the candidate. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Steve. And, uh, I think that, uh, you, you, you answered the, this question that, uh, it all starts with, uh, the client company. It all starts with, uh, with the founders and our job prior to, uh, we, we actually start the the search itself and go to market to to look for candidates. It's really spent a lot of time with the company, spent a lot of time with the founders to understand uh, who they are, who they are as professionals, who they are as uh, as as persons. Uh, you know, what are their concerns and uh, and what's the current um, team dynamics uh, that they have in the organization, because these kind of conversations, they, they you need more than one conversation to really understand both their objectives, but also the, uh, their personalities and uh, at the end of the day, the company culture, but they very often lead to uh, to, to to certain redefinitions in, in the job description, because sometimes, again, you, you have uh, um, you have a specific request to find, let's say, a VP of sales, a VP of marketing. And uh, then through these discussions with uh, the founders and with the companies, you realize that uh, given their objectives and given their pain points, maybe they will be looking for something fundamentally different. Uh, so, yes, I mean, it, uh, it takes uh, a lot of uh, conversations. It takes also a lot of data because at the end of the day, I think that the amount of information you as an executive recruiter have to process uh, is enormous and uh, it will not only give you the insights about the candidate but about the market as a whole and again like our objective today is to make sure that uh, not only we find a specific uh, candidate to uh, to to fill the specific position but we also can accompany the clients in their expansion or growth or transformation efforts so i think that this continuous exchange of information and back and forth communication 
is critical throughout the process to make sure that you get it right because there's much more to to, to evaluate uh, than than just uh, say the, the candidate you have to look at the market you have to look at the objectives sometimes these objectives are changing sometimes uh, you have some force majeure uh, circumstances so yes it's 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 almost like uh, when you work at the um at the crossroads of uh, recruiting and uh, strategic consulting yeah it, it's funny as i listen to you talk about culture and fit i'm, I'm reminded you know I, I i learned french when i was 30 and although i speak french very fluently um, I understand that I'm not a French person and I don't have French culture. And no matter how long I live in France, I probably will never be uh, really dialed in in that sense. On the other hand, working in SaaS, working in technology, uh, working in this industry, I feel like oftentimes I can speak with someone who can be half a world away and we share common reference points just because we work in the same industry. So I think that culture, in some ways, it can be a really easy question to solve. In some ways, it can be a really hard culture to solve. I think um, I, one thing that it seems to me to have been a bigger problem in the past or a big problem in the past on executive hiring, um, I've seen this at tech companies, at startups, is big company people versus startup people. Um, have you seen that be an issue? And what I mean is like when someone comes from a fortune 500, they're used to having a whole marketing team and a communications team and having all these teams, um, versus a SAS, you usually are the team. Is this an issue that you see, or is it a non-issue? People understand that when they're moving to a startup, they're going to have to be more, uh, self-actuating. Right. Well, it's, it's very often, uh, an issue. Okay. And again, because it's uh, it's a maturing market, and uh, at the end of the day, it's a lot about expectations management. Mm -hmm. However, I think that uh, we might have these uh, misconceptions uh, on both ends, okay. both at the end of uh, on behalf of candidates, but also on behalf of companies. When candidates uh, they uh, they think that uh, they are ready to uh, to to move to this high growth environment, and uh, they feel that they're hands on, and they just want to uh, step uh, step back from this corporate context, which for them is li probably limiting. But uh, you know, you they still might need a bit of uh, a bit of preparation, and uh, and again, it's, it's really about going back to remembering what you did early in your career and uh, applying the skills and leveraging them aside, uh, alongside uh, uh, what you have learned in, in the corporate environment when it comes to managing teams and managing process. I think that it's it's really very situational. And uh, an example that uh, comes to my mind is uh, when, uh, let's say, a scale-up company is... Uh, is looking for for an executive that uh, will have to take them to the next level. Mm -hmm. They don't want to lose this uh, spirit and and culture and uh, of an entrepreneurial organization. But at the same time, they realize that the current sales team or the current uh, um, executive team is uh, is actually probably not ready to to really introduce processes and systems and to lead teams and to uh, to optimize as they grow international. So that's where this. Uh, specific corporate experience can be uh, can be extremely, extremely valuable. And again, uh, corporate experience, it varies so much across countries. Because for example, um, if you look at companies like Microsoft or Salesforce, someone that has launched um, a new market for them in an emerging country, and I've come across uh, actually um, 
candidates uh, with this profile in in Africa. Mm -hmm. It's almost like working for a startup. And this experience can be very, very valuable for uh, for a high growth international SaaS organization. So again, like it's it's not about what you have done, but it's about uh, the market context, and also it's about you as as a person because you can work in a corporate context because that was the career path that you've chosen uh, ten or twenty years ago. But uh, these conversations with with candidates, they can actually. Um, unlock uh, the entrepreneurial potential that has now been realized. Or maybe it's a corporate executive that has been running uh, their own projects or their own businesses in, in parallel. So I think that it's just a lot more than, uh, again, like what we see on paper. And it's a lot more than uh, in a single name of a company, whether it's a big name or it's uh, it's an emerging company. But again, like it's, it's, it's expectations management and... Uh, just need to look at specific probably examples to to identify uh, where these sources of talent might be. You know, um, it sounds you mentioned processes there. Um, so it sounds like when when you start adding a lot of senior management and doing executive hires, it's it's probably when an organization is moving, is transitioning from startup to scale up. Um, and so that they're, they, they figured out their growth, they figured out their product market fit, they figured out how to satisfy customers, and now they need to um, really grow all this at, 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 by several factors. Is that correct? Is that the right assumption? Or am I, can, do you work with teams of all different sizes and there's no real correlation to size? Yes, it's, 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 it, that, that's right, Steve. Uh... Yes, that's uh, it's all about passing from again like one stage to to another stage, and uh, very often I think uh, companies uh, realize when they don't manage it proactively that the skill set they have in the organization again it's not enough to uh, to take it to the next level. But I think that uh, we have to be careful with that because again it's not only about the stage in the life cycle, life cycle but it's also about external circumstances. And today. Uh, there's like one trend that uh, we see on the market that was not there a year ago is that uh, even though within the scale-up environment, it is important to have executives that, uh, as you said, are able to, uh, to, to put certain processes in place to align teams and to develop certain structure, which is probably not so uh, relevant for an early stage startup. Given that um, the market is is being uh, disrupted, and uh, you know you you still don't know what will happen next year, and uh, it's probably harder to retain customers and harder to uh, to to onboard new ones. You always have to be a combination of both. So it's again like about the ability to uh, to to create processes, but it's also about the ability to to pivot and sometimes. Uh, going back to, to basics and uh, just uh, creating a go-to-market strategy or approaching new customers or doing some some cold calls. And it's a lot about flexibility at the end. Um, I was just thinking about uh, Twitter right now. And um, uh, Elon Musk has said he won't be staying on as CEO. Um, so they'll be looking for a new CEO. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can uh, be kind of curious to see what their candidate might look like. They probably have a, a very short, short list. Um, what are some other trends you're seeing in the marketplace? Uh, you mentioned this one trend. What are some other things you're seeing in, in 2022? Because 2022 seems to be a year of change or a year we're going to remember. Are you there? 
Yes, yes, well, sorry, Steve, I was about to, okay. to ask you the same question. Uh, yes, I think that uh, 2021 and 2022, they have been uh, the the years of change. And again, like not only in uh, in the technology and SaaS environment, but across all the industries, because mm -hmm. all those conversations about growth and transformation and and pivot and, and openness and diversity, uh, many companies are actually forced to uh, to, to accelerate these processes because prior to 2020, those were just conversations which you know, were a little bit hard to implement, especially in uh, the more solidified uh, corporate environments. But again, like coming back to, uh, to SaaS and high growth environments, um, um, one thing that, uh, thing that I've already mentioned, but I'll, I'll repeat it, is that uh, we see less and less um, cross-cultural uh, differences because uh, many companies adopted this, adopted this uh, borderless expansion models or uh, you know decided uh, decided to to decentralize their leadership team and this is something that we see with the US companies especially those that aspire to uh, to to establish global brands that uh, they actually decentralize their leadership teams uh, in Europe or elsewhere. Mm -hmm. which I think that uh, it's both an opportunity and, and a challenge. It's an opportunity because uh, I think that the, uh, the candidate market has become uh, much more open and much more diverse. And to start with, it's, it's a candidate-driven market. But the second one is uh, you know, that uh, we still have to overcome uh, these uh, discrepancies, which are mainly related to uh, the fact that uh, there are differences across life cycles, there are differences across compensation. So it's, again, it's an opportunity and uh, and a challenge at, at the same time. And uh, another um, positive change, which I see on the market, which again, like I want to come back to what you mentioned before with respect to the nature of uh, recruiting and uh, an HR that it used to be, um, a little bit more probably administrative and uh, not so aligned to us with the strategies that today there's no other way for uh, hiring managers uh, within the organization to uh, to to be successful uh, than uh, really being uh, being aligned with with the strategy and and, and really uh, positioning human capital as as one of the key uh, drivers actually of the organizational success. And I think that uh, we see this both within the companies, but also uh, when it comes to, um, to to venture capital and investments and valuations, because again, like we have some quantitative metrics that, uh, that impact the market, but from the VC perspective today, especially that uh, with this uncertainty, um, you know, valuations uh, are going down and probably uh, investors are a little bit more cautious than, than before. I think that's uh, uh, a strong team and a focus on human capital as the key driver of operational allocation is really something which, uh, uh, you know, we will be seeing over the next couple of years. Hopefully, because again, it's, it's really, really hard to make uh, predictions. I would rather call it uh, an assumption. An assumption, a best guess. Best guess. Um, it, it's really interesting. Um, there's this concept in, in SaaS product-led growth. And I, I, I would argue that part of your product is your people, that if you have great people and you have a strong culture and a strong vision, um, that that will lead you, you, as people, um, as your customers are introduced to your employees and become aware of who your people are and their values, their vision. 
uh, and their philosophy behind that, 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 that becomes part of your company's product that, that people are, you inspire confidence with that. So finding the right people, the right fit, um, especially as you were saying, uh, in a market that's going to be even more competitive than ever, whether it's for investment dollars or what have you is, is, is that much more important. Um, just things just makes a lot of sense. Um, are there, what you were mentioned about, uh, 2022 with the layoffs that are starting to happen right now, is there more talent available for you to place? Um, has it, has it made your market more dynamic? Has it made your more challenging? What's, what's happening with the market as far as your company on a micro level? How has the market changed? Right. Well, in, in 20, in 2022, I think that's uh, up until now, probably up until the uh, the fourth quarter, the markets um, has been extremely, extremely challenging, okay. uh, especially within the the high growth and SaaS environment. Because uh, on the one hand, uh, we had the the so called talent war, and the other hand, we had the the great resignation. Again, like uh, a lot when it comes to uh, to technical roles, I've come across candidates that had uh, 8, 10, 12 offers on the table, which again puts additional pressure on the hiring company with respect to um, you know how fast uh, they can move in the, in the recruitment process, but still uh, having enough interviews to make sure they've made the right decision uh, with respect to how to position the employer brand and the culture. So I think that's um, and I, I heard from many industry peers that uh, this last year has been incredible, and this is something that uh, the recruitment industry haven't like hasn't seen in probably the last fifteen or or twenty years in terms of uh, again like the complexity and the abundance of offers on the market and uh, the also the like, really in certain areas the lack of candidates. Yeah. Which again, like I think that we've already mentioned that uh, there's a way to overcome it, but uh, you know it's it's still quite challenging for companies right now. And again, like it's very normal because uh, we've seen it uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic. We've seen it uh, uh, right after the uh, the 2008 crisis happened. Is that many companies are a little bit uh, uh, cautious with respect to to hiring leaders because uh, you see that this last quarter. Many shifted to zero-based budgeting. Many companies introduced recruitment freezes because just no one knows how the market will behave because you have many, many factors that uh, uh, you know, are still uh, driving this change, but it, it's hard to predict consequences. But I think that, again, coming back to, to, to what we discussed, that uh, today people is uh, the main driver uh, and the main uh, element in the organizational deal creation i think that's uh, just a small pause towards the end of the year maybe it will last until the end of the first quarter and hopefully the market will will pick up uh towards uh, towards the next year but the 2022 has been uh has been in extremely intense and extremely dynamic and uh, just that uh, uh today we we can take a little pause and take a breath and and also reflect on everything that has happened and everything that has been done in in a more strategic way yeah it's um our market is a little bit like the world itself uh it's very unpredictable right now and um i i thought that um of course famous predictions i thought the uh, this kind of headwinds that our industry was facing was just a little bit of blip but it's turned out to be more than that and it seems to be tracking just like the wider 
economy as a whole, which is, you know, the wider economy because of inflation, because of petroleum, what have you, everything's just a little bit tougher right now. And I, I think until we get those figured out, it's probably similar, more, more of the same. Um, I don't think we'll really get completely on track until uh, geopolitically and a little bit further. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's unfortunate because uh, I think there's so many other things that we could be working on as a world and focusing our research on. What about founder succession? Um, are founders often involved with recruiting their own successor? Uh, in most cases, yes. And again, like it's it's according to 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 our experience. So yes, I mean the most probably they will be involved in in the succession because it's it's extremely it's an extremely delicate process and uh, and of course like it's it's also many emotional actually for many. Yeah, I mean it's it's like walking away from your baby potentially. Exactly, like selling your first house. <laughs> yeah, like selling your first house. Uh, I, you know, a, a lot of founders choose to leave, uh, but I think that's the exception. I think in many cases, a lot of founders are pushed out by their investors. Do you agree with that assessment, or is that not correct? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a great and a very very difficult question because I think that uh, there's a very fine line between being pushed and willing to leave because uh, you just feel this pressure coming from the uh, the organization I don't know if it's from the investors if it's from the market but you just start feeling that you know you you are no longer enjoying what what you're doing because probably you're a founder who uh, you know is is very entrepreneurial and uh, is uh, is there to create new concept to launch them but um, you wouldn't be necessarily the founder that again like can effectively scale the company or uh can 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 take it internationally so i think that it's always a mixture of different factors right i wouldn't say that you know the they are pushed yes sometimes they are but it's it's also about self-awareness because when you become self-aware that you're no longer motivated by or i mean motivated probably that's not this is not the right word but right. like you're no longer uh good at what you are doing i think that's uh, uh your motivation go down and of course it, it can yes it's, it's a lot about the, the self-awareness and we haven't seen that many founder successions in 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 europe but i think that it's more i can rely more on the on the u.s examples but uh so. Well, I mean, in essence, in essence, when a founder leaves, he's either it's because he feels like he's finished his mission or he's lost confidence in himself to be able to take him to the next level or or his investors in the team has lost confidence in them to take the level next level. So if I mean, it's one thing if you feel like mission accomplished, I'm moving on to my next thing and you're finding a founder, you, at least you've got a sense of accomplishment. But in those other two situations, either your investors in your team have lost confidence in you or you've lost confidence in yourself. That's a highly emotionally charged um, situation. And I think, um, you know, founders are, are probably a little bit wrung out by that time and tired. Uh, and, and maybe similarly to a divorce, sometimes they don't look at everything that they should be doing or don't know what they should be doing. What should founders be thinking about as they as they look for their own successor? They need to be looking for the qualities in their successor, but what what other things should they be thinking about? Right. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking about the the emotional aspect of it because again, like yes, yeah, sometimes we see painful stories, and especially if uh, we speak about first time founders that really 
invested all their energy and created this project almost like like uh, being their baby so then it becomes emotional but i think that the first thing that founders have to do prior to planning their succession is actually to to manage this emotion and uh to really look at it uh, um almost like uh an external advisor so look at it from a more objective perspective because mm -hmm. uh, there's no other way to uh to do uh to do an effective hiring decision because first uh, uh candidates will fail if there's something wrong mm -hmm. and uh, i think that's again like if you're looking for the for, for a successor is because uh, uh within the current context and it's not only about you as a founder but it's about the whole team uh you just probably do not have all the skills and competences to uh, to take it to the next level so i think that again like the, the first advice would be to to manage this emotion to uh to really uh probably with the help of of the, the investment team with the help of, of an external advisor to look at your org charts uh, the way it is now and really trying to reflect on the past but also to unlock and how this uh this organi organizational chart uh, will have to evolve as as the company grows, given the, you know, the the objectives and the outcomes that they expect from from the next stage of of the of the life cycle, and uh, and yes, being objective with yourself, uh, you know, with respect to uh, what are the skills that you are missing and how to effectively uh, design the scorecard for your successor to to make sure that he he will do the job properly. Because like again, it's not about you. I think that it's very important for the founders to understand that. Uh, uh, they will probably be be better at doing something else at this stage, or maybe they should just, I'm not saying about stepping back and leaving the company, but also it's about assuming a different function in, in the organization, can be staying on you know, on the board, or maybe it's it's a founder who's extremely good at, uh, at, uh, at product development. So again, like uh, it's a kind of a step back, but I think that's, it's very logical, and at the end of the day, the markets uh, will will see it. And I mean, the founder is is always the founder because when you uh, when you start presenting a company, or like even us, when we speak about the client that has already um, to live through this period of founder succession, you always speak about the founder, and he's always the person that created the business. But I think that's uh, just that's I mean, emotions they're very uh, very. Uh, dangerous in business, not only in hiring, but in all decisions, whether it's, again, like an acquisition, a post-merge integration. And we can see today that uh, many, many uh, mistakes actually made, made because of the emotional and human factor. So let's try to avoid them. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, 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 isn't that the case? Um, in the marketplace right now with, with, um, we're talking about headwinds and a lot of companies, there, there's been a shift from this all out uh, sprint towards growth. Um, to more responsible growth, making sure that uh, you're growing in a way that's sustainable um, and that you have a, a path towards profitability. Um, do you think a lot of CEOs and C levels are going to be pushed out? Do you think this is going to create um, this is going to create movement in the employment market at this level? I don't think that a lot of mm -hmm. them will be will be pushed out because again, like it's uh maybe that's not the right verb either pushed out, but do you think that's just gonna create movement in this in the just in general? I mean there's probably gonna be M additional M and A activity that we haven't seen in years past as well. Yes. Lost you for a second. Hold on. You there? Oh, I think we lost you. 
aligned with uh Hold on, we lost you for a second. Can you go back one minute? So, so I lost you for a second. Yeah, so you were saying, uh, I was saying that there, because of M&A and activity in the movement, there's probably going to be some changes in the market in higher rain or in, in sea levels. Yes, I mean, there might be some changes. And again, like it's it's uh, it's uh, inevitable uh, consequence of, of an M&A process because uh, these changes can be at the sea level or let's say, at lower levels of the organization, but uh, these organizational restructurings, they might probably take place. But again, shoot. hands of the founders, especially before this acquisition happens, and, you know, how they deal with the change and how they reinforce their teams and how they, uh, say, reposition uh, their organization or unlock some hidden potential within the the companies it's all in in their hands so we might see some changes but i think that uh we won't see that many because especially over the 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 upcoming two or three months because the market in general both in terms of uh external growth and acquisitions and recruitment is is very cautious is it's very careful so i think that's uh we still have some time to reflect on what's happening and this is exactly the time that is probably given to the founders to to at least evaluate what can be done internally to avoid uh, major impacts uh, on the organization, especially if, according to them, it's not going to be a positive impact. Really interesting. Um, Vera, you're, you're a partner at N2 Growth. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about N2 Growth so we can just for a little perspective? Yes, absolutely. Um, N2 Growth is an international executive search and leadership advisory firm. Um, what is interesting is that um, the company was created in, uh, in, in the United States in 2004, and uh, the executive search activity was born from the uh, leadership and coaching practice because it's our founder, Mike Meyer, that he was actually, um, and he, he, he's a very well-known executive coach with uh, many of the Fortune 500 uh, C-level executives and uh, you know, at some points, uh, his clients were approaching him and uh, asking, like, Mike, you, you've helped me, uh, you know, so much about our company, about our culture. Why don't you help us to to attract uh, like-minded people in the organization? So that's how the executive search activity was born. Uh, today, and to Gross is a truly global organization with uh, more than um with offices in more than 50 countries uh we also uh rank in the forbes top 10 executive search companies in the us and uh there i think that's uh within this rating we are the the youngest company so we're still uh not as big as <laughs> as our major competitors which allows us to, to actually be very flexible and to work uh, cohesively across across countries so it's really really a global organization. And uh, thanks to that, um, we were privileged to to be part of uh, some very interesting uh, cross-border success stories supporting our clients, whether American clients or European clients throughout expansion, transformation, and, and global growth. But I think that's, again, coming back to how the company was created. Uh, we, we really look at, at executive search through leadership and strategic lens to make sure that not only we place the the best person for the organization but we also help clients to align uh, across many different organizational perspectives and to to develop sustainable hiring strategies 
And and so and so, how long have you been working in executive search yourself? In executive search, well, I I started in executive search in two thousand five. Okay, and it was actually my first uh, student job. Um, okay, this was not in France; it was a little bit um, to the south. I was based in in Spain and in, in Barcelona at that time. So yes, I spent uh, my first six years working in, in executive recruitment. And then um, actually with the crisis of 2008, like this whole situation and it hit Spain very hard. So it made me rethink many things in, in work and in life. And uh, I left the sector and spent another nine years in investment advisory and then in private equity working in Europe and also um, in Latin America. And then, uh, yeah, that's how I learned also the other side of executive search and hiring being on the side of the client. And then uh, I joined Tanto Growth in 2019. So again, like I can say that I've been in executive search since so I had a break in the very needed to to better understand our customers and to to really get the broader market perspective. But oh, that's great that you you've gotten to see both sides of it as well. What do you think? Um, what are the hardest roles for you to fill, and why? Is it are these executive roles or is it technical roles? Well, I haven't done technical roles for a very long time because okay. again, uh, I think that our market is uh, is is segmented, and when we do executive search, uh, we normally uh, don't do uh, technical okay. recruitment. But I did it. Uh, I did it uh, some years ago, so I think that. Uh, like these are different, actually, kind of difficulties. So I think today, for example, if I had to fulfill a technical role, it would be uh, a little bit more difficult because um, recruitment strategies and like the whole process of how you handle the executive search mission, it also differs mm -hmm. depending on, on the role. But I think that uh, globally, yes, I mean, technical roles, they've always been uh, hard to 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 fill in and like even if we look at, at the executive search market i think that's uh the most challenging ones uh this year were the roles of of a cto right both right. because the the increase in talent competition but also because of the uh both technical and leadership complexity because today uh whether it's a cto cmo or uh, an HR director, you always have to have this organizational vision and broader perspective and everyone has to be a true business partner. So I think that uh, we also need to do a lot of coaching and, and mentoring to make sure that even though this leadership and uh, and visionary potential is not unlocked in, 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 in a candidate, it's our job to actually identify it and to uh, to bring all those rising stars to, to the market, which is, is not easy at times. Yeah, boy, uh, a CTO, um... I've always been fortunate enough to work closely with CEOs, but uh, some of the people that have the biggest effect on me as mentors were the CTOs, um, just very talented individuals. I think that combination of technical skills and leadership and communication skills, um, just amazing. Just an amazing combination. Yeah. If, they, if they have all three of those things, it's really impressive. Um, Listen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, to my audience out there, uh, if you'd like to get in touch, uh, with Entry Growth, you can you can find um, Vera Sharova. She's on LinkedIn. She's also on Twitter. Entry Growth has a has a Twitter handle as well. Um, so it's Vera Sharova. I'm going to put her name in here. Um, and she speaks I don't know like six languages. Is that right, Vera? No, 
not not yet while I speak uh, four because I have to. Four <laughs> languages. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I I think we can safely assume Spanish is one of them. Um, well, listen. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And it looks like we got your video back. Our our signal was kind of breaking up. Um, what do you compared to two thousand? You mentioned two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. How do you see, I looked at a, a comparison of value lost in the stock market, especially on the tech side. The, the, the dip was much bigger in 2008, 2009. Do you see any similars between 2008, 2009? Uh, do you have any thoughts in comparing the, the two timeframes? I was around for the dot-com bust around 2000. So I, I, I actually go back two cycles. Um, but do you see any similarities or any patterns appearing? Yeah, I see patterns or maybe better, uh, better say lessons yeah. learned yeah. from 2008. And again, like um, it, it's both about the stock market, but also about the uh, private equity and venture capital, because I think that today the the industry, mm -hmm. the, the private equity and VC industry is still very strong, whereas investors have a lot of dry powder and uh, basically they, they can... Uh, envision and manipulate the situation better and i think that they will react faster to whatever happens next because one of the i think major mistakes uh, of the 2008 crisis was that uh, the reaction was too slow because no one knew how to uh, you know how to behave in this in this situation and then the investor they actually uh, approached and, uh, and and continued investing uh, despite the the crisis they got the the higher returns so i think that's uh yes it's it's more about it's more about the the lessons learned and again like today we are in in a completely different situation with respect to the uh technology and globalization and all that i think that it just facilitates the the decision making process and uh and also creativity across the market because there's so many new things and uh, uh what is clear is that we cannot rely on on old patterns and uh know in in any case things will continue moving and uh it has never been easy especially for early stage companies and uh a new business model but it's about uh conscientiousness resiliency and uh and just drive because there's no other way than to to move forward yeah it's it's interesting because i think when i look at our industry technology and SaaS and what have you in some ways it's never been easier to found or build a company as far as a technology standpoint you can assemble your stack of different SaaSes and build the functionality you want and put in place the processes but in other ways the expectations of the market finding the right product market fit getting your message heard uh, through the, all the noise and also meeting customer expectations has never been harder too you really have to do an excellent job on all those things and now, uh, in addition to all that, there's there's a little bit of headwind. We're facing a little bit of headwind. So it's not an easy time, uh, but I don't think, like you said, it's never been easy. Um, but it's... Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, if anyone uh, needs to get in touch with Vera, please contact me. I'll be happy to put you in touch. Or again, as I said, she's available on LinkedIn. Uh, and they also, uh, I think Growth also has a Twitter handle. Um, have a great day. Thank you, Steve. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. Okay. Um, really interesting. Um, gosh, I've never been a hiring manager. Uh, scary idea. Thank you so much for watching. Our next show is Tuesday the 22nd. Uh, we're going to have GVS. Oh, shoot. I can't.
I'm not sure I can pronounce his name. Well, let me see. Jivias Shaitanya. I hope that's right. I hope that's right. So he's head of growth at Right Sonic. Uh, and so we're going to talk about, uh, they've got this really interesting uh, SaaS where they use AI to help people create more content and scale their content strategies. Uh, so we'll meet with him, see what he has to say, learn more about their company. Uh, I think AI, what's interesting is that it's this horizontal technology. It's going to change everything in all different industries. That again, it's Tuesday, November 22nd. It's going to be at 1 p.m. Um, then uh, next week, uh, looks like on the 29th, uh, our guest fell through. So we'll, we'll have a guest on the 29th. Uh, on December 1st, we do have some lined up. Uh, it's uh, Marcus Omer from uh, a venture capital group. So we're going to be talking with them about what's happening on the venture capital side. What is their impression of that? And then after that, after December 1st, uh, we're going to change our hours. Um, so we'll be uh, live casting from 6 p.m. in the evening. Uh, we're going to try a different uh, time, um, time, a different hour and see if that works a little bit better and if we're able to reach a larger audience. Thank you very much and have a great day.